if you haven't seen, the sun's starting to come up right here. And, uh, you know, um, one of the reasons we really like sunrises a lot, all of us, man, people go to the beach to watch sunrises, not just on Easter Sunday. But one of the reasons we really like them is because it's un God is undeniably alive. Hey, let me ask you a question. How was the sunrise you created yesterday compared to the one God is creating right now? Oh, wait, you didn't create one yesterday? I didn't think so. Um, and that's kind of the conversation he had with Job when Job wanted to complain. Man, God is awesome. And so as I share with you what God has uh, in store for us right along this mangrove line, you can see the sun starting to come up. And every day it's unique. Every day it's beautiful. And every day it declares the glory of the Lord. I want to show you something else that's cool. Dude, check this out. Yeah, I don't know. Can we see it on the camera right here, man? This is a, a fighting comp, man. While Zane was uh, sharing his testimony and I was listening and really not his testimony, but God's testimony. If you were listening, I was walking around and found this little fighting comp. Look at the colors on this, man. How's this compared to the shell that you made the other day? Oh, wait, you didn't make one the other day? I didn't think so, man. Only God makes these. Everything around us testifies to the fact that he's alive, man. He's alive, and that's what today is about. That's what every Sunday is about. Uh, and, and I wanted to kind of start off by um, sharing with you that when I was in high school, somewhere between middle school and high school as I was surfing, the dude, the word dude came up in surfing. It became synonymous with surfing back in the 70s, the mid-70s. And it might even have been with posers or whatever, but it became a real part of it. And, and the word dude conveys a lot of things. Like if somebody totally messes up, you're like, oh, dude. Something is like, uh, you know, really good. It's like, dude. If, uh, if somebody does something that you just can't even believe, you're like, oh, Zane, dude, man. <laughs> you know, what's going on? But I want you to say, dude, he's alive. Can you say that? Everybody on the count of three, one, two, three. Dude, he's alive. Do that at home. Come on, I dare you while you're in bed. One, two, three. Dude, he's alive. Man, that's all that matters is that he is alive. If he's alive, we are secure. If he's alive, we're alive. Our whole life is in him. And uh, as I prayed, man, for weeks about what God would have me preach during this time for this Easter message about, dude, he's alive. Um, and with this theme that we've had, uh, because he's alive, uh, this is what... It means to me that he's alive as I've been praying and praying and looking. God led me to John chapter 14. And I want you to uh, turn there if you have your Bibles to John chapter 14. Or you can go ahead and listen. You can also go on Facebook Live uh, or Facebook later. And you can see the outline that's there either on my personal page or on the Driftwood Church at the Beach page. But uh, uh, as I share with you, man, he, he, he brought me to John chapter 14. And if you don't know, that was something that Jesus was sharing with his disciples the night he was betrayed. The night before he was going to be betrayed, the night before he was going to be uh, arrested and have six illegal trials, the night before he was going to be spit on, he was going to be mocked, the night before he was going to be beat beyond recognition, as Isaiah puts it, the night that he'd be nailed, uh, before he was nailed to the cross, the night before everyone would deny him. Man, the night before all those things, he had just invested three years with all with his disciples, pouring his life into them. They fully thought the kingdom of God was coming in a physical sense. In other words, that he was going to kick Rome's tail, take over, and they now Israel would rule the world physically. But instead, what he was preaching is, I don't want, I don't, I don't want to rule this environment. I want to rule your heart. 
I want to be the king of your heart. And if I can be your internal king, it doesn't matter what's going on externally. And I think God is trying to teach us that same thing now. If he's the king of our heart, if he's ruling inside, it really doesn't matter what's going on on the outside. Because we can now see life from his perspective. And the reason he left us here from the time we're born again to the time he brings us home is to help others see it that same way. So here's the advice that he gave his disciples the night before he was betrayed, the night before he was beaten, the night before he was crucified, and the night when he was telling them, guys, I'm going to die. But do you realize Jesus talks about death a lot of times as sleep? Man, how many of y'all went to sleep last night? Anybody went to sleep last night? How many of y'all got all your affairs in order? You did everything you were supposed to do because you're like, oh my goodness, I'm going to sleep. <gasps> I'm going to sleep. This is it. This is it. Once I close my eyes, it's done. How many of y'all fully expected to wake up? That's why Jesus called death sleep. Because death is just a, a temp it's a change. It it's a it's a transition. It's not the end. And for him, it certainly wasn't the end. He was going to die and be buried and rise again on the third day to prove to all of us that he had the ability to, to allow us to rise, to bring us back to life again. And uh, when, when it was time for that. And so, <laughs> so in this, man, this is what he's trying to teach his disciples on that night. That night before he's going to die, before they're going to freak out and say, wow, we, we gave up lucrative corporate jobs, collecting taxes. We gave up lucrative fishing businesses man my dad just bought a new boat he told me not to follow this guy but i went and man we gave up everything for him and all of a sudden now he's saying we're gonna i'm gonna die and they didn't get it they really thought israel was gonna take over again nothing made sense to them and he's trying to comfort them saying because i live because i'm gonna rise again on the third day it's going to be better for you than if i stayed here physically you understand that's what he's saying? And in fact, for you, how many of y'all would rather have a physical Jesus walking alongside you than a Holy Spirit living inside you? Man, you don't understand the Holy Spirit if that's the case. Well, you're not walking with him because what he says is it's better for us to have the Holy Spirit in us than to have a physical Jesus walking with us. Listen as we go through, uh, as we go through um, John chapter 14 and the advice that he gave to his disciples. And how he said, because I live, this is what I can do. Because I live, this is what you have. Because I live. And so we're going to start off with the first point in John chapter 14. You don't know the famous verse, John 14, 1. Uh, he says, because I live, because he lives, I have a home in heaven. And you know what's the cool part about my home in heaven? He's going to make sure I get there. I have a home in heaven, and he's going to make sure I get there. How many of y'all live with somebody who notoriously gets lost all the time how many of y'all know somebody whose directions you would never trust how many of y'all get lost all the time you don't know where you're going you get lost in walmart and i'm just saying man if it was up to me to figure out how to get to heaven i would get lost i would never know the way i would be freaking out like the disciples if jesus was going to die and say man i'm leaving well how are we going to get to heaven jesus says chill bro chill I'm going to make sure you get there. So listen very closely as we look at John 14, verses 1 through 11. And today I'm in the New Living Translation because I just think it spells it out so good. For you ESV fans, it's almost identical to that. Verse 1, he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Why would the disciples be troubled? 
Well, because they poured everything they had into Jesus, thinking he was going to let Israel rule the world again, to be the number one country, to take over everything. And all of a sudden he says, I'm going to die. Man, their hearts were troubled. They didn't understand it. They didn't get it. They're trying to reconcile. He said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Your heart may be troubled right now because things aren't working out the way you thought they would. Investments aren't. The stock market isn't. The retirement isn't. Your blue-collar job, your white-collar job, your home job, everything. Things might not be working out the way you think they should. And these words are to you also like they were to Jesus' disciples the night before he died. He says, don't let your heart be troubled. Listen to what he said. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In other words, the key, the solution is to put all your faith and trust in him, not your bank account, not your unpredictable future, not your boss, not your job, not even your electricity, not your water when you turn on. Don't put your trust in anything but him. And it becomes not a matter of getting what you want, but wanting what you get. And we'll talk about that later. But he says, man, trust in God. Trust also in me. He's talking about himself. Jesus says, verse two. There is more, um, he said, there is more than enough room in my father's home. If it were not so, would I, I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? He said, dude, look, I'm preparing a place for you. When I go away, I'm preparing your eternal home. If this is not, was not true, I wouldn't be telling you this because I'm a God that can't lie. Verse 3, when everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. When everything's ready, does that mean that Jesus, who was a carpenter on earth, man, he's like, all right, you know, like Zane, in this house he's working on, where he ripped everything out. Wait, honey, I got I to gotta install the toilet. Hang on, I got to put a new sink in. I got I to gotta put the baseboards in. When I'm done building everything, no, that's not what he's saying. He said, when everything's ready, I'm coming back. Do you know what ready means? If the job of the church is to make disciples, if the job of the church is to help the world see life from God's perspective. And when the last person hears the gospel that's supposed to hear the gospel, that's when things are ready. Church, are we busy? Church, are we letting people know that he lives? Or are we just sulking, oh, he lives and he's got to make me feel better because I don't feel so good because this whole coronavirus thing and I don't get to go to work tomorrow and I don't know what our paychecks are. You know what, we're all dealing with that, but I don't have to know everything. I know the one that does. And he, I, my job is still the same as your job as a believer and it hasn't changed because our situations change. Our job is to make disciples. Look at this unique opportunity. Take this unique opportunity, this, this awesome time in history, and, and get closer to him than you've ever been. Fall on your face before him, repenting, saying, God, show me how to be more like you. Like the old British revivalist said, man, draw a circle around yourself and say, God, give me revival in this circle. Because, man, when you have revival in that circle, there will be revival in your world that's all around you. That's what this is for. When things are ready, I'm coming back. Do your part to get things ready. That's the only job we as the church have. So he says, man, when it's all ready, man, I'm, I'm, I'm coming back to get you guys. He said, um, when everything is ready, I will come get you so that you will always be where I am. When he comes and gets us, dude, we are eternally with him. And we will not want to be anyplace else. Verse 4, he said, and you know the way to where I'm going. You guys know how to get there? Wait a minute. Thomas spoke on behalf of everybody on the side. No, no, wait, wait. 
my, my, I don't have any reception. Waze is not working and Google Maps is taking me the wrong way. Oh no. What, hey, what did we do before GPS? We follow Jesus. <laughs> I'm just joking on that. But seriously, man, Thomas speaks up on behalf of, no, wait, 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 wait. I don't know how to get to heaven. I don't know where we're going. I don't know how to get there. And, and, and so he says, he said, do you know the way I'm going? Verse five, no, we don't, Lord Thomas said. We have no idea where you're going. So how can we know the way? We don't know what's going to happen. Some crazy stuff's getting ready to happen. Verse six, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way. Know me. Have an intimate relationship with me. Surrender everything you know about yourself to everything you know about me. Pour your life into me because I am the way. I'm not going to show you a way. I'm not like ways where I'm going to give you a bunch of routes and you pick it. I am the way. The only way to where I'm going is you go with me. You've got to have an intimate relationship with me. The lost church in Matthew chapter 7, when they're getting divided up and saying, Whoa, didn't I, didn't I preach on, uh, in your church? Didn't I prophesy? Didn't I do these things? He said, Yeah, be gone, man. You and I never had an intimate relationship. I didn't know you. Man, he said, I am the way. He said, I'm the truth. You want to know what the truth is? Dude, everybody's on Facebook talking about, well, this conspiracy, that conspiracy, there is no conspiracy. Let's wear a mask. Let's wear a glove. Let's, you know what the truth is? The truth is we don't know the truth unless you know Jesus, and that's all the truth you know is him. You do what the truth says to do. You stay with the truth. You stay stuck with the truth. You'll be surrounded by the truth. And all these things the rest of the world is worrying about, trying to figure out the truth, is irrelevant. Whatever you need to know about doing what you're supposed to do right now, the truth, the way, the truth, and the life will put you there and give you what you need to know. He said, man, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I am the life. You want this life, you've got to get it in me. You get it in me, I'm not going to show you how to get it. I'm not going to give you some magic formula. You've got to be one with me. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And look what he even said, he's pretty exclusive here. And this is where a lot of people have a hard time with Christianity. He goes on to say, no one can come to the Father except through me. No one, you cannot get to God the Father unless you go through the way, the truth, the life. And again, it is with him. He's not going to show you the way. You go as if you were on his back. He's piggybacking you. You are one with him. I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one can come to the Father except for me. So he's telling the disciples, stay so close to me. Don't let anything get between me and you, and it'll push me and you closer together. So man, he goes on. I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one come to the Father except for me. Verse 7, if you had really known me, you would know the Father, who the Father is. From now on, you do know the Father because you've seen him, because you've seen me, he says. We've been hanging out three years. You know me, so you know the Father. You know the way. Stay with me. Verse 9, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? And it's a rhetorical question because Philip knew who he was. Anyone who has seen... Um, Man, I can't wait to get back to the teleprompter here again. Anyone who has seen, uh, uh, verse 7, if you had known me, uh, anyone that has seen him, has seen uh, uh, seen me, has seen him. Verse 8, Philip said, Lord, 
Show us the Father. We'll be satisfied. Philip's not getting it at this point. Verse 9, Jesus replied, Have I been with you this time, Philip? You still don't know me. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am? We can stop right there. He says, don't you believe that I am the Father and the Father's in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Verse 11, he comes to Philip and says, look, guys, here's the deal. Verse 11, just believe. That's all he's asking us to do. He said, just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. Just believe because me being alive is going to be undeniable. It already has been and it will be undeniable. Just believe. So again, the very beginning in this, because he lives, I have a home in heaven. And he is going to make sure that I get there. And that's a good thing because if it was up to me to make sure I got there, we get lost. If it was up to Ashley in the back seat, JJ in the back seat, Emily in another back seat, Linda in the front seat, and they all had their ways going, you know what? We would not only get lost, but we'd get in a fight. Anybody ever done that when everybody's got ways going on? Aren't you glad there's one way, there's one person, there's one we can invest our life into. And because he lives, I have a home in heaven, and so do you if you're a believer. And he's going to get us there. But number two, because he lives, I can serve the one I love, and he will give me everything I need to do it. Listen to this next little section. He says, verse 12, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same work I have done. And even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. Now, some people take this, uh, oh, okay, so we're going to do the works Jesus did, but because we have the Holy Spirit, we're going to do them even greater. And they take it in this respect. Jesus fed 4,000, so we can feed 10,000. No, that's not what it says. Listen to it closely. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes, anyone who puts their faith and trust in me, that's what that word believe means. Anyone who does that, he says, will do the same works I have done. What was Jesus' works? It was doing whatever God the Father wanted him to do. You want to do what God the Father wants you to do? He said, believe in me. I'm going to send you a Holy Spirit, and you'll be able to do it. In fact, it's going to be even greater than just me as one person doing it, because there's going to be many people with the Holy Spirit all doing it. Their works are, are going to be more... There's going to be more works because, man, I'm going to build a church at the gates of hell and no coronavirus can prevail against. He said, I tell you the truth, anyone who puts their faith and trust in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. It's better for you that you have a Holy Spirit. You have me living inside of each of you. Can you imagine if Jesus was in an office in Jerusalem? How many times would each of us get to go see him? Dude, maybe once in a lifetime I would get to go see him. Man, but I have access all the time. And so he says, I can do. He's going to equip me to be able to serve the one that I love, the one that has, has, has made a way for me to have salvation, the one who's given me a home forever in heaven. Verse 13, this goes with four, verse 12. He said, you can ask for anything in my name, and I'll do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name, and I'll do it. Now, here's the way we take that. Oh, I can ask for anything, and, and we stop there. I can ask for anything, whatever you ask. Oh, and tag Jesus' name. Make sure you sign Jesus at the end of that check, and then God's going to give you whatever you want. That's not what it says either. It says, 
that he wants, Jesus wants to glorify the Father by giving you what you need in order to do what God's calling you to do. So your life is a life of service. He's get, he has prepared from the beginning of time not only your salvation, but good works for you to do according to Ephesians 2. And he wants you to ask him for the provisions to fulfill your purpose within his plan. You can ask for anything you need to do what he wants you to do. And he will give it to you so the Father will be glorified. So you get to be a part of something so supernatural that only God can get blamed. So man, because he lives, I have a home in heaven and he's the one going to get there. Because he lives, he gives me everything I need to, uh, because he lives, I can serve the one I love and he gives me everything I need to do it. Number three, because he lives, I'm never alone. He's always with me. Man, how many of y'all are jonesing right now? I'm, I was watching the, the, the comments earlier. Everybody wanted to hug each other. Man, dude, I love people. You know me. I see some of you, just so you don't have to hug me, run around the other way to get around because you know if I can catch you, I'm hugging you. And I'm not letting go till I'm done hugging you. We shake hands. We fist bump. We do whatever. Man, I am missing people so bad. I'm with my family and with a few people sometimes, but man, I am so missing you guys. But according to John 14, I am not alone. No, I'm not alone. Because he lives, I'm never alone. He's always with me. Listen to verse 15 in John 14. He says, if you love me, obey my commandments. All right, so if you love me, do what I say to do. Be committed to me. That's what he's talking about with love. Love is a commitment, not a feeling. It's not, oh, I have this emotional feeling towards God. He's wonderful, you know, while the music's playing. But then, you know, no, it's not an emotional feeling. It's a commitment. It's a love like a husband and wife. It's a love. It's a commitment that is there. And he says, if you commit yourself to me and you're committed to me, obey my commandments. Verse 16, I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate, a helper, a comforter, a paraclete, as it said in, in the Greek, a Holy Spirit to walk alongside you is going to be exactly like me. So you make a commitment to me, Christ says, to walk with me and do what I'm asking you to do. He said, I'm going to give you a helper to do it. I'm going to give you an advocate. I'm going to give you a comfort. I'm going to give you someone exactly like me to walk right beside you while you do all of this. He's going to empower you to be able to do it. Verse 17, he is the Holy Spirit. Well, first of all, he says this advocate, he will never leave you. Once you have him, you've got him. Verse 17, he is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. He's the same as Jesus. Jesus is the truth. The Holy Spirit is the truth. And they're not going to deviate from each other. The world can't receive them. Why can't the world see, receive them? Because the world, he says, isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. The way you receive the Holy Spirit is by committing yourself to Christ. When you commit to him, you do what he says. He now gives you someone to help you be able to do it because you can't do it without him. But he said the world's not looking for that. Here's what the world's looking for. Here, let me give you the idea of Lent. And maybe Lent and Ash Wednesday and all those things were a good idea at some point in time. But here's what we've got now. We've got a bunch of people hoping for a resurrection, but have no relationship with Christ. So what do they do? They know there's a, a few weeks or so before Easter. Every year, that man, you know what? We're going to commit ourselves to Jesus. We're going to give up all that sin that we love. 
We're going to give up all those wicked behaviors that we love, that God doesn't love, that God hates. We're going to give them all up for God. And we're going to go to church on Easter. And we're going to hope that when we die, we're resurrected for that. But before we get ashes on Ash Wednesday, before we make that commitment, we're going to have Fat Tuesday, which is Mardi Gras. We're going to have Carnival, which is no meat. We are going to have this giant party where we can just have all the debauchery and sin and wickedness we want so that we can fill up on it because we love it and God hates it, but we can fill up on it so we can sacrifice it to God. That is not God's plan at all. You just heard. He said, if you love me, you commit yourself to me. It's 24-7, 365 days a year. It is a, eternally. You commit yourself to him. He says, man, I'm giving you Holy Spirit, and I am going to give you the desire and ability to do what I want you to do. And he goes on to say, he said, world doesn't receive it because it's not looking for him. Um, he goes on, but you know him because he lives with you now. He's talking to disciples about himself, and later he'll be in you. That's in Pentecost. Verse 18, he said, no, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. I will stay with you forever. Verse 19, soon the world will not see me physically anymore, but you'll see me. You'll see me spiritually. Since I live, you also will live. Jesus lives. Everybody say one more time, dude, he's alive. One, two, three, dude, he's alive. Jesus told us, man, the truth told us he's alive. And by the way, the greatest testimony on the fact that Jesus is alive is your changed life. How many of y'all have desires now that you never dreamed you would have before you gave your life to Christ? How many of you know that he has changed your life and is continually changing? That is proof. A dead God cannot change your life. And you certainly can't. Otherwise, you would have done it before you got saved. Man, he goes on. He said, when I am, verse 20, raised again uh, uh, to life again, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Go read that yourself, man. He said, when I am raised to life again, you're going to know I'm in the Father, the Father's in me, and we're in you. You're going to know we are one because we are committed, dude. You know what, man? That word committed in the Hebrew, this is Greek here, but in the Hebrew, it was talking about a, 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 a woman rolling out dough and making strudel, man. Anybody make strudel ever? You roll out dough, and, and then you take, you know, your sugar and spices, then you put nuts in it. And when you start rolling the nuts in with the dough and put the heat to it, the nuts become committed to the dough. God is the dough, and you're the nut. And through the heat of this world, when you give your life to him, you become committed and become some sanctified spiritual strudel. <laughs> I, I'm just telling you, dude, that's what that word committed. It's inseparable. It's inseparable. You can't separate it. It's not some little one-month commitment to him and then going back to debauchery, man. It's a lifestyle. And it's lifestyle you would rather, you know, there's no other lifestyle you'd rather have when you are committed to him. Judas, not Iscariot, verse 22, said uh, to him, Lord, why, are you, why aren't you going to reveal yourself only to us and, and, and not to the whole world? Why aren't you going to tell the whole world about it? Jesus replied, all who love me, all that are committed to me and will come and make a home, uh, all that are, that, that are committed to me will do what I say. My father will love them. He'll be committed to them. And we will come and make our home with each of them. In other words, you commit to Christ. He commits to you. And it's eternal. It's a done deal. 
Verse 24, anyone who doesn't commit to me and doesn't obey to me and remember my words are not my own words. What I am telling you is from the Father who sent me. Going down to verse 25, he said, I'm telling you these things now while I'm still with you. But when the Father sends the advocate, the comforter, the Holy Spirit as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit. He will teach you everything. Listen to that. The Holy Spirit who, who is walking with you are not alone. He is with you and he promises he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything that he has previously told you. So because he lives, man, I got home in heaven and he's going to get me there. Because he lives, I get to serve and worship the one I love and he's going to give me everything I need to do it. Man, uh, because he lives, I'm never going to be alone. He's always with me. But we're almost done here. Because he lives, I have peace because he's coming back to get me. You get that? I have peace because he's coming back to get me. Man, verse 27. He said, I am leaving you with a gift. He said, when I leave, when I die, I'm giving you a gift, guys. And it's peace of mind and heart. Here's where we stop. It's peace. All right, so if you're going to give me peace, then that means you're going to give me what I want. That means I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask for a specific result. I'm going to ask you to do a specific thing. And if you do what I say, then I'll have peace. No, that's not what he's saying. It's not about getting what you want. It's about wanting what you get. And if you love him and are committed to him and understand he knows everything, can do anything, and he's everywhere, he's far more qualified to figure out what you need than you are. And so he says, man, I'm going to leave you with a gift. It's called peace of mind, peace of heart. Your mind is where you make mountains out of molehills. Your mind is a battlefield between God and the devil. Your heart is when you get your heart set on something. That's your desires. He said, I'm going to guard your heart and your mind. I'm going to give you a peace there. But the peace is not because I'm going to give you what you want, but I'm going to change your heart and you're going to want what you get. Listen to this. I'm going to give you this peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give you is a gift the world can't give because the only way the world can give a peace is by satisfying your desires, which it can never do. He said, don't be troubled or afraid. Remember what I told you. I'm going away, but I'm coming back again. There's the peace. He's coming back again. And because he's alive, because he lives, man, he's coming back to give me. And that gives me peace. This is not my home. This is where I'm on the clock for Christ from the time I'm born again, the time he brings me home. The peace comes knowing that the rescue helicopter's coming at the right time to yank me out of this world at the right time. But until that time, I've got a job to do. He's given me peace. He's given you peace, a believer. But whether or not you're wearing it, it's another story. In my boat, I have life preservers. And if the boat does go down, God forbid, and I cover that with the blood of Jesus, but if it's going down and I throw you a life preserver, you got a choice whether you're going to wear it or not. He has given you a gift called peace. you got a choice whether you're going to wear it or not. And if you're trying to make this world your home, that is not how you wear the gift of peace that he's given you. This is your home. Heaven is your home. You make that your home. You live for him. You're committed to him. Dude, you have peace because you know he's got it all under control. He said, don't be afraid or troubled. Verse 28, remember what I told you. I'm going away, but I'll come back to you again. 
if you really love me, you would be happy I'm going to the Father who's greater than I am. In other words, you really love me, you'd be stoked that I get to go to heaven and, and get things ready, and I'm coming back for you. I'm going to a better place, man. Verse 29, I have told you these things before they happen, so when they happen, you'll believe. And it wasn't until after the resurrection, after a while, that the disciples truly did believe. So number one, again, going back to this, uh, the very beginning, because he lives, I have a home in heaven. And he is going to make sure I get there. Number two, because he lives, I can serve the one I love. He will give me everything I need to do it. Number three, because he lives, I'm never alone. He's always with me. Number four, because he lives, I have peace. He's coming back to get me. And I almost missed this last verse. I almost cut it off and said, you know what, we're done. I don't think there's any more to it. And he gave me this last verse and showed me that because he lives, I can be sure about all of this, I'm telling you, because he's in control. Listen to this last little set, the last two verses of John 14, verse 30 and 31. He said, I don't have much more time to talk to you because the ruler of this world approaches. After the fall, after Adam and Eve messed it up, after Adam and Eve's offspring were now born in the image of Adam and Eve and not necessarily in the image of God completely. Man, after sin entered the world and death came by sin and we've all inherited and, and we now had to make decisions based on good and bad and we we're only equipped to make them based on good. We have made so many bad decisions and we have messed up this earth. When all of that started going down, God just said, you know what, man, here's the rule of the world. He gets to do this till I decide to come back. When it comes time for the tribulation period, I'm breaking out the bulldozers, the land move, the, the land court. I'm breaking out everything, the front end loaders, man, and I'm going to just wipe it clean. I'm going to then make a new heaven and a new earth, man. And, and, and you, we'll talk about that at another time. We have in previous messages. But Jesus is going to come back and take over this world again. That's what happens at the beginning of the book of Revelation. He takes the deed back. And he's getting ready to clear the lot and build a new house, if you want to put it in our terms. But he said, right now, man, he said, the ruler of this world approaches. And that was through Judas. That was through the Roman government. That was through the Jewish religion. That was through those leaders. They're approaching right now. But look what he says. He has no power over me. Dude, Jesus gave up his life. They didn't take it. He gave it up for you and me. He has never lost control. He's always been in control. And he's in total control right now. That's why we have to continually see life from his perspective so we can help others see it from his perspective. He said, man, he's coming. The ruler of the world approaches, but he has no power over me. But I will do what the Father requires of me. There it is. That's what Jesus did. That's the work that Jesus did always of what the Father wanted him to do. That's the work that he's given us, and he's given us Holy Spirit to accomplish that work. And because there's so many of us, we can accomplish it even greater. Look at how the church has grown. Every time they try to kill the church, man, the church grows. The blood of martyrs is the seed of the church. I believe that's why God has removed us out of our little comfort zone. So you either depend on a relationship with him or you depend upon a relationship with all your earthly possessions, goods, and, and, and things you've earned and accomplished. Right now, he's pretty much put it down where the rubber meets the road. You got him or you got nothing, man. He goes on. He said, the world has no power in me. The, the, demon has, the, the devil has no power in me. Verse 31. 
but I will do what the Father requires me so that the world will know that I love the Father. He said, come, let's go. That's my thought to you. Because he lives, come, let's go. Let's go do what he's equipped us to do. In conclusion, because he lives, I have a home in heaven, and he's going to make sure I get there. And if you want that home in heaven, it takes you surrendering everything you know about yourself to everything you know about Christ. Not just a little bit, surrendering it all. Making a commitment to him. And the only way you can do that is if he gives you the desire. If you have that desire and you've never made that commitment, man, that desire comes from him. It's like the wind. I don't know when the wind's coming. I don't know when the wind's leaving, but I know that it's here. And if you have that desire, you know that it's here and act on it before the desire goes away. Because if you lose the desire, you can't give your life to Christ and your home will not be heaven. So because he lives, I have a home in heaven. Not because I'm good, but he offered me a deal and I took it. And he is going to make sure I get there. Because he lives, I can serve the one he loved, the one I love, and he's going to give me everything I need to do it. I'm not forced to serve God. I don't have to go fill up on debauchery at some big Mardi Gras party so that I can now do what God wants me to do begrudgingly for a month or so. That's not the way it works, man. I gave my life to him. He gave me new desires. I want nothing more than to serve him and worship him. And how hard would that be if I wasn't equipped to? But he's going to equip me and give me all the desire and ability I need to do what he's asking me to do. Because he lives, I'm never alone. He's always with me. He's never going to leave me or forsake me. He lives in me. And he's living there eternally. Because he lives, I have peace. And where does my peace come from? Does my peace come from my bank account? Lord, no. <laughs> does my peace come from having perfect peace with all the people I'm surrounded with, never having controversy, never getting invited? No. Where does my peace come from? My peace comes from the fact that I have an eternal home in heaven. Man, I pull up right here. I've got a hundred grains of sand in my hand right here. If each one of those grains of sand represents one year, that's a hundred years. That's a long life on this planet. But the rest of the sand in this whole universe doesn't even represent eternity. And I've got a home in heaven where I will be with him forever there. Man, that brings me peace. Somebody once said that, how can you complain about the journey when the road leads home? <laughs> Get that? How can you complain about the journey when the road leads home? But if you ain't on the road that's leading to that home, I can see why you complain about the journey. And as a believer, if we forget that the road leads home, we complain about this journey. We've got to keep our eyes fixed on things above, as Paul told us. And last but not least, man, because he lives, I'm sure about all of this. I'm positive. I'm betting my life on it. I'm, so, I'm, I'm telling everybody about it. If this fails me, everything fails me. But I know it's not going to. I am positive that what I'm telling you is the truth. Because he's in control. It's all because he lives. One more time, man, on the count of three. You know the words. And you add whatever kind of dude you want, man. One, two, three. Dude, he's alive. <laughs> man, I want you to look in the mirror so many times and just tell yourself, just say, dude, if you're a girl, you can say, dudette. Dudette, he's alive. Dude, he's alive. So go live with him because he's alive. Let's pray.
Father. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us your word. Father, the same words that you used to try to comfort the disciples on the night before you were going to physically be taken out of this world and knew they weren't going to understand it, knew they were going to have a hard time with it, you know because of human, Father. Those same words that you used to comfort them, I pray would comfort us so that we can live for you, so that we can understand just a little bit about what we have because you live. We have a home in heaven, and you're going to get us there. We have the desire and ability to serve the one we love, Man, we are never alone because you'll never leave us or forsake us. We have peace because you're coming back to get us. <laughs> Father, um, and we can believe all of this because you're in control. I pray, Father, we would apply this the way we need to apply it. I pray if there's someone who's never given their life to Christ, today would be the day they do it. I pray for anyone that is counting on anything but you. And you've revealed that to them, Father. They would just surrender whatever it is to you. And Father, we would be busy about your work of making disciples until you come back. And I pray for these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Jim, thanks a lot.